Yeah. Hey, everyone. I'm, I'm actually, I'm really proud of you guys for, you know, making it here to first service. Extra points for you guys. First service. I was, uh, I was kind of curious, Mike, is there going to be anyone there? But I don't know. So I actually don't mind the hour change thing. I mean, we didn't have to wait as long to be together. I'm trying to put a positive spin on this whole thing, which is awesome. My name is Matt, and uh, I have the privilege of serving on staff here at Seacoast. My job's a little bit of a Swiss Army knife. I uh, lead our young marrieds, our young adults, our creative team, and every now and then I play some drums, and uh, Paige let me out of the habitat today. Uh, so it's good to be up here and be with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm actually, I'm really eager to share with you guys from God's Word today, and I really do believe that God has something specific to say to each one of you guys this morning. I believe he has something specific to say to us as a community and as a family. Uh, so let me just pray, and we're going to dive right into the text here. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for being the solid rock that we can stand on. Lord, there's so many good things that flow from you. And Lord, we just today want to just have a, a taste test. We want to we want to taste and see that you are good. So I pray that your Holy Spirit this morning, Lord, would make the gospel real to our hearts, Lord. May we r- truly sense your love for us. God, press your grace down deep into our hearts today. And we commit this time to you. I pray this in your name. Amen. So just to let you guys know where we're going today, we're going to be focusing on Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. This is the last two verses in chapter 4. So if you guys got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on and poke your way there. Really, really quick, I remember growing up, the pastors always used to be really excited about the sound of the pages turning in the Bible. It's like, I love the sound of the pages turning in the Bible when people are trying to find the passage. But now that the Bible's on more and more devices, page turning is getting less and less. And so I'm going to be excited just to see the glow of God's Word illuminating, <laughs> illuminating your faces. That will have to do. Okay, so Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Today we're talking about something I'm sure that none of us here struggle with. So, you know, maybe just keep, keep track of someone else that might need to hear this message. Uh, Ephesians 4.31-32, let me just read this uh, out loud here. The Apostle Paul writes, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Oh, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Maybe uh, people at other churches struggle with these verses. Not us, right? As much as I wish that that was true, I'm sure these verses have something to say to each and every one of us this morning. You know, one of the things that I'm absolutely passionate about is connecting the power of the gospel to everyday life. You know, because like, I once, I grew up in the church, I'm one of those kids, you know, and I, I once thought, of the gospel just as the starting point of Christianity. It's just what you need to believe and to get in. And then after that, you move past the gospel. It's just something you believe to get in, you move past it. 
But God, has, over the years, he's graciously been showing me that the gospel, and this is in the words of Tim Keller, he says, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A through Z. It's the whole thing. The gospel is not just the diving board that we jump off of into the pool and then we swim our way off to deeper theological waters. That's like how many of us think about it. No, the gospel is not the diving board that we jump off of and then swim to deeper theological waters. The gospel is the, not just the diving board, it's the pool itself. That we jump in and we don't swim past the gospel, we swim deeper into it. You know, as Christians, we never graduate from the gospel. Rather than being some lofty theological concept that happened once upon a time, the gospel is good news for us today, here and now, right here in our lives, in the trenches. I love how one author described it as the gospel as grace with dirt under its fingernails. It's, it's meant to be in our lives, meets us where we're at. So as you can imagine, I was, I'm actually really excited to uh, preach on these verses because if there was ever a place if there was ever a need to understand the liberating power of the gospel, it's in the context of our relationships. Because we live in a messy world. And surprise, we are messy people. In fact, we're messy and dysfunctional people living in a messy and dysfunctional world with other messy and dysfunctional people. <laughs> and it's, actually, it's interesting. We live in a world where bitterness is a brand. We live in a world where slander sells. Let me give you an example of this. A few years ago, someone lovingly dropped this book into my stocking at Christmas time. Insults and comebacks. <laughs> Lines for all occasions. So let's give you, give you an, example, an example that bitterness is a brand and slander sells. I just want to read to you from the introduction of this, okay? It starts, here's the introduction, preparing to unleash the beast. Whether you're teeming with frustration, overwhelmed with envy, or just plain in the mood, there are unlimited reasons to fire off an insult. From four-letter words to long-winded diatribes, backhanded compliments to in-your-face jeers, sometimes you've just got to say what's really on your mind. Armed with barbs targeting everything from looks to age, to smarts, to character, you'll always be prepared with inappropriate or completely inappropriate taunt or retort. With the help of this pocket-sized prompter, your reputation will soon precede you. <laughs> the personal benefits of releasing such negative energy far outweigh someone else's hurt feelings. You'll feel empowered, in control, and gen generally better about yourself by taking down those around you. In today's world, niceness is overrated. So the fact that there's a book like that, and I think it was Paige who gave this to me, by the way. I, I, it was in my stocking. I don't know what that means, but I've been reading it. I've been studying it. But the fact that there's a book like that, I mean, that is evidence alone that we live in a world where slander sells and bitterness is a brand. And, uh, I would say that most of us, though, probably don't need a book. We're doing just fine in the bitterness, the anger, the malice, the wrath, the slander department, right? 
Actually, there's probably a lot of us here who could write our own version of that book. Or maybe we have already in our journals. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the plain truth here is that relational tension is actually, it's an, an experienced dynamic in much of our lives. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, all of those things cause us to experience regular doses of relational tension. Think about the family member who wounded you, the coworker that mocks you, the spouse who shamed you or ignored you, the friend that betrayed you. Again, if there was ever a place where we need to understand the liberating power of the gospel in the con- it's in the context of our relationships. So the question is, is, can the gospel actually change the way that I relate to others? And if it can, then how? How does the gospel actually impact life today? How does it impact life right here, right now, in the trenches, in my dysfunction, in my mess? How does the gospel connect to that? And I know there's probably a, some of you guys who are feeling a little skeptical about anything ever changing. Perhaps you've lived with the bitterness, the anger, and all of those things for so long, the idea of living without those is just foreign. Wouldn't wouldn't we all love to be able to be be kind, to be tenderhearted? At least wouldn't we all want to experience more kindness and tenderheartedness towards us? Wouldn't it be nice to experience more freedom? What, let me ask you this, what if you weren't plagued by the bitterness you currently have because of the way you were treated by someone you trusted, by someone who betrayed you? What if you were free from the bitterness you currently have because of the way your parents treated you or that person who claimed to be your best friend? What if you had this amazing and abiding sense of, of peace even when things in your life were falling apart, when relational tension was thick. What if you had that? What if your life was marked by peace, even though things weren't going your way or the way that you'd hoped they'd go, with your family, with your marriage, with your career? What if your anger could be turned into affection for that person who hurt you? Let's be honest here, anger is enslaving, is it not? When you're angry, there's no way to be happy. It's enslaving. As the great theologian Yoda said, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. I was going to try the Yoda voice, but I decided against it. (laughs) It's not my gift. I've, like, I've always had a love for music, and I've been in various bands throughout my life. But years ago, I was in a band and was loving it. We were having a great time. And then suddenly, the band decided to break up. And so that made me angry. I'm like, dude, we're like having a great time. This is awesome. Why is the band breaking up? What made matters worse was several months later, the band got back together without Matt. <laughs> Can you believe that? Come on. And what made it even worse was that they went on to be fairly successful (laughs) without Matt. And I just remember 
this is a while back, but I just remember being so bitter about that. And then I would go around, I'd see, you know, different things that just like showed me the success that the band was having. And I remember just feeling like, dude, I remember feeling I had gotten burned. All the, the success they were experiencing, I couldn't enjoy that with them or for them. I lived with resentment for a long time. I was thinking about, you know what resentment is? I think resentment is, is anger that you allow to temporarily move in and sleep on the couch. You know, and later on it decides to move in completely. <laughs> One of those types. And then it becomes feelings of ill will towards other people. You begin to just want to see them fail. It's enslaving. It's absolutely enslaving. But what if your resentment could be turned into reconciliation? What if your constant and perpetual fault-finding could be turned into forgiveness? What if you were free from that enslaving need that you have to get even with someone who publicly humiliated you? I mean, isn't it absolutely draining holding a grudge? Isn't it exhausting? Isn't passive aggressiveness exhausting? It just wears you out. But what if your grudge could be turned to grace? Again, maybe we don't, maybe there are some of us who just don't believe that it's possible to be set free from those things. But I think if we were all honest with ourselves this morning, we'd all love to experience more kindness. We'd all love to experience more tenderness. We'd all love to experience more forgiveness, for sure. I don't think it matters if you're an inside-the-church person or if you're an outside-the-church person. These are just human desires, human needs. We would all love to experience more kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. So it comes back to that question, what possible impact does the gospel have in such a messy and dysfunctional world? with such messy and dysfunctional people. And so I think the Apostle Paul was very aware that the church was experiencing these things. His response to dealing with these poisonous attitudes was to drive home the reality of God's grace. I mean, in several of his letters, he talks about this same list. This wasn't just an isolated incident. This was something that was an experienced dynamic, an experienced reality in the life of the church. There was bitterness, there was, there was wrath and anger, all of these things that, that needed to be uprooted. And so how does he go about doing that? He drives home the reality of God's grace. He rings the gospel bell over and over. So the mor- this morning the question is, is, how does he do that? How does Paul connect the reality of the gospel to our mess and dysfunction. And today I just want to look at two ways. There are probably many, many ways, but today I want to look at two. And the first one is that Paul embeds the imperatives in the indicatives. This is the contextual question. And this is big because when we read Ephesians, it's easy just to get focused on what Paul specifically says, or any book of the Bible, what the author is saying, but it's also important just to stop and say, to look at how they're saying what they're saying. And we've driven this home every week in one way, shape, or form. And so I just thought I would continue the tradition and drive it home again. But 
uh, the imperatives and the indicatives. So he embeds the imperatives in the indicatives. So this might take you back to English class a little bit, but uh, it's important for us to distinguish between the two, imperatives and indicatives. So some quick definitions. The imperatives are those commands that you come across in Scripture. It's the things that, the instructions that we find in Scripture, what the Bible is com commanding us to do. So when you think imperatives, think do. It's a, it's a do list. Indicatives, on the other hand, are, are what the Bible is telling us. In this case, Christ has done. Christ has already done or has promised to do. So indicatives could be thought of as done. If imperatives are do, indicatives are done. And so Ephesians 1 through 3 is really one big gospel bomb. He's, he's dropping a big gospel bomb. It's filled with indicatives telling his readers what God in Christ has done. He spends the first three chapters making sweeping statements about who God is and what he has done to rescue the sinners, strugglers, and screw-ups like us. In chapter 1, I'm just going to give you a real quick overview. In verses 7 through 8, he says, In him, that's Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Verse 11 says that he chose us. It feels good to be chosen, right? Verse 13 says God included us in Christ. He gave us the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, he says we were dead in our sins, but in verses 4 through 6, he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In chapter 3, so far Paul has been preaching the gospel to Christians. He's been preaching the gospel to Christians. And then in the end of chapter 3, in this crazy, long, run-on sentence. You ever notice how like Paul just it's a long, run-on sentence? Like, put a period, bro! I need to breathe! He says, verse 16 through 19, I pray that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So you see that? He spends the first three chapters preaching the gospel to Christians, and then he, he spends a portion of that praying that Christians get the gospel. And that's so important because he's about to move on. Verses, or Ephesians 1 through 3 is all about what Jesus has done for us. These are the indicatives. And what has he done? Well, he's rescued us. He's made us brand new. Paul has gone to great lengths to tell you and I that we have a new identity. As we bear the physical image of our earthly fathers, so we bear the image and likeness of God now in our hearts, which is our true identity. I'm going to read that again. As we bear the physical image of our earthly fathers, we bear the image or likeness of God now in our hearts, which is our true identity. So hear this. Christianity is not simply turning over a new leaf. It's not. 
Christianity, it's, it's receiving a brand new life. There's a huge difference. So chapter 4, Paul begins to show what this new life that we've been given begins to look like when we are gripped by God's grace. In chapter 4, Paul, he gets into the, he gets into the imperatives. He gets into the commands, the instructions. It's important to see that Paul isn't interested in moral behavior just for the sake of moral behavior. He doesn't just tell us what to do or tell us to do things because they're right. He tells us to do these things because it's who we are. So the imperatives in chapters 4 through 6 tell us how we ought to live in light of the indicatives, what God in Christ has already done. So another way to say this is that chapters 1 through 3 fuel chapters 4, 5, and 6, which we're getting to after Easter. So another way to think about it is that the Christian life is meant to be a horizontal expression, a horizontal expression of a vertical reality. What God in Christ finished and accomplished for us vertically Ephesians 1 through 3 is meant to fuel the Christian life horizontally. Ephesians 4 through 6, with our families, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with our world. So I think understanding that context is huge. And that's one of the ways that Paul is driving home the reality of God's grace and connecting the gospel to our mess. Might sound a little academic, but it's a huge, huge thing. So that's the first way. Secondly, and I would say more specifically, he anchors our call to forgive in the fact that we've been forgiven. So Ephesians 4.32, it's really the driving force behind this section. Notice, Paul doesn't just say, be kind, and then move on. He doesn't just say, be tenderhearted, and moves on. Like He doesn't just say, forgive, and then move on. He says, because here's the thing, just being told to do those things actually, doesn't actually give us the power to do it. I mean, we can, we can kick and scream and tell somebody to do what's right, do what's right, do what's right, but that actually doesn't give a person the power or even the desire to, to do it. Paul provides the motivation. He embeds that in there. He says, just as, so forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven you. If you're taking notes, I put like a little hashtag boom right there. I mean, that's huge. The motivation, he anchors that in that, mo- the motivation that we have been forgiven. And if you really think about it, this is what makes Christianity unique. You know, in some ways, Christianity isn't very different from a lot of the other world religions. All religions have some sort of Ethical, ethical code that they operate on. You know, do this, do that, don't do that, don't do this. An ethical code isn't what makes Christianity unique. If you look at the particulars of the Christian faith, actually, they're not that different from the ethics of other religions. There's a lot of crossover. The difference is the motivation. You know, what makes Christianity unique from all other world religions is that In every other religion, you will find at the top of a ladder some divine being who is making demands. That we're told to climb, climb, climb. 
Really, you could call this ladder-centered religion. It's bottom-up religion. So on the other hand, what we see in Christianity is not ladder-centered religion. It's, it's cross-centered belief. You know, it's not our ascension to God. It's God's descension to us because we could never ascend to God. And this is a huge difference. This is, a, this is what makes Christianity unique. The amazing thing is that the God who makes all of these impossible demands, and if you read Scripture uh, rightly, the demands that God makes, the imperatives, are meant to feel impossible because they are. They're meant to really break our legs, to make us cry, I can't do it. And what's amazing is that the God who, who makes these impossible demands, if you really think about putting off all bitterness, come on, I mean... And every day of the week, at every moment, put off all bitterness, all malice. I mean, th- this is not, you know, God is, he's not giving you a mulligan, you know, when you, <laughs> he's, he's saying, no, no, it's all bitterness, all malice. And forgive, these are, when you really think about it, these are impossible demands. And the, the good news, though, is the God who makes these impossible demands also meets these impossible demands by sending his son to do for us what we can never, ever do for ourselves. The good news is that God gives what he demands. God demands holiness. God demands righteousness. And so God gives Jesus to us for free. Jesus is our holiness. Jesus is our righteousness. The demands that God makes, he also meets by giving us Jesus. And that, you guys, that's the gospel. And the more our hearts are melted and moved by God's love for us, his forgiveness of us, the more that we're going to be free to love and forgive others. And that's amazing fuel. And what's amazing too is that we've been given the Holy Spirit living inside of us to make the gospel real to our hearts. Our uh, young marriage group, uh, we're go- there's several different young marriage groups and we're all reading through Tim Keller's The Meaning of Marriage right now. I don't care if you're single or if you've been married 50 years, get that book and buy it and read it. It's so good. But we were reading it and we came across a- this excerpt for- on this past Monday night and so I'm like, file save. I'm going to read that. So check this out. He writes, the gospel brought home to your heart by the Spirit can make you happy enough to be humble, giving you an eternal fullness that frees you to be generous with the other even when you are not getting the satisfaction you want out of the relationship. Without the help of the Spirit, without a continual refilling of your soul's tank with the glory and love of the Lord, such submission to the interests of the other is virtually impossible to accomplish for any length of time without becoming resentful. You see, as long as you're trying to be kind, trying to be tenderhearted, trying to forgive, and you're doing that on your own resources, you're going to burn out. You do not have what it takes to do that with your own resources. Neither do I. We need gospel fuel in our tanks. And the forgiveness of God is what fuels our forgiveness towards one another. We will only ever be free to give 
to the degree that we realize the gift that we've been given. Let me say that again. We will only ever be free to give to the degree we realize the gift we've been given. A quick story to illustrate this. Uh, Last Christmas, Paige and I were given an amazing gift. Someone hooked us up with plane tickets, uh, flying standby out to Colorado. It was Christmas Day that we had to fly out. So we're like, dude, sweet. We were stoked. It was an amazing gift. Uh, we get to the airport at 5 p.m. The flight's supposed to be at 7 p.m. And we're excited. Like, we're going to Colorado, yay. And we find out, oh, it's been delayed. The plane that we're supposed to fly out of here on is still in Colorado. Okay. So it gets delayed one hour. It gets delayed two hours. It gets delayed five hours. And then at 1.30 in the morning, finally, they say, it's canceled. <laughs> so are you kidding me? Cancel. And I'm not kidding. I swear I heard a baby cuss. I, there, <laughs> there was some kid with a potty mouth, who, but everyone was feeling it, and he just said what everyone felt. <laughs> the, poor, the poor guy working at the desk, he's like, I got babies cussing at me. I'm here. And so they said, hey, it's like 1.30. Just come back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. We'll get you out of here. I'm like, Thank you. Uh, so we get, we get back at 6 a.m., and then there's more delays. There's, like, the, the plane that we were supposed to fly out, they take it away, they park it in some, like, little lot. I don't even know where it went. They pull on another plane, and other people leave, and then they, they couldn't find our plane. It was, it was horrible. I was just, like, imagining a guy walking around out in the parking, like, boop, 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 boop. Like, where's the plane? But slowly, like there was this literally this, this hostile takeover of pastors that was literally brewing. People were getting so angry. It was, it was, and the funny thing is, the whole time, like as this is brewing, I was just like totally content. I'm like, I was like, you know, I was calm. I was content. I was, you know, I was enjoying watching what I was seeing. <laughs> and at one point, that one of the instigators. This guy, he leaned over to me. He's like, dude, you're like one of the only people who hasn't complained the whole time. He was keeping track. <laughs> now, I, I'll just say this. They, that's not me. I'm the worst of the worst. Like, I mean, when it comes, I complain a lot. Um, <laughs> but it, what was different? And it wasn't because I was more virtuous or a better person. The difference was I had received a gift. How could I possibly complain? I'd received a gift. It was so, I was so thankful to be able to like have this, this free flight out to visit my family. And so it, it, I couldn't complain. And I didn't even really want to. You guys, understanding what we've graciously been given enables us to be freely gracious with others. And this is where the gospel rubber meets the road. You think about it. What's underneath our bitterness, our anger, our wrath, our inability to be kind, to be forgiving? You know, James 4, 1 through 2 says it well. It says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. 
So what's underneath all of those things, the bitterness, the anger? This might be an oversimplification, but I really feel like the common thread is self-protection. We feel that it's up to us to make our lives count. We believe that our identity is being threatened, and so we lash out at others, or we hold our relational cards close to our chest. But if what the Apostle Paul is telling us is true, then we have nothing to fear. The gospel tells us that we're free to forgive. And the coolest thing is, when you think about it, when we forgive, we're literally putting the gospel on display. We're literally becoming a demonstration to the watching world of the gospel. Because think about it, forgiveness is not just It's not just an app in the app store of Christianity. It's the operating system. This whole thing is built on forgiveness. You know, for for uh, Paul, the gospel was incredibly practical. Life is messy. People hurt us. We hurt others. And only the gospel provides us the power to love and forgive, to live as kind people in an unkind world. And Paul wants us to see that the gospel, that in the gospel lie all of the resources that we will need to put off bitterness, to put off wrath, slander and malice, and to put on kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. So Paul, is, he's connected the power of the gospel to the messiness of our relationships, and that's good news. We have the resources that we need. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come on, come on back up here. And I want to close with this excerpt I came across a few years ago that I think beautifully describes how the gospel sets us free. It says, because of the gospel, we have nothing to prove or protect. We can stop pretending. We can take off our masks and be real. The gospel frees us from trying to impress people, appease people, measure up for people, or prove ourselves to people. The gospel frees us from the burden of trying to control what other people think about us. It frees us from the miserable, unquestionable pursuit to make something of ourselves by using others. And when you understand that your significance, your security, your identity are all anchored in Christ, you don't have to win. You're free to lose. And nothing in this broken world can beat a person who, is a, who isn't afraid to lose. Now you can spend your life giving up your place from, uh, for others instead of guarding it from others because your identity is not in your place. It's in Christ. Now you can spend your life going to the back instead of getting to the front because your identity is in Christ, not your position. Now you can spend your life giving, not taking, because your identity is in Christ, not your possessions. Real, pure, unadulterated freedom happens when the resources of the gospel smash any sense of need to to secure for myself anything beyond what Christ has already secured for me. Amen. Forgiven people forgive people. And the reason we come to the Lord's table is to remember the sacrificial love of Jesus. To be reminded that, to, to be reminded of what God in Christ has done for us. That in Christ, God has forgiven us. So the band is going to play, and I'm, I want to let you guys know it's not a, a, sh- a playlist on shuffle. It's one song, 
that we're doing. And so what I want to invite you guys to do is to is to make your way to the tables, take communion, and make your way back. And I just want to say, communion, you guys, is if you've tra- if you've transferred your trust to Christ, forgiveness is not something that you hope for in the future. It's something you currently possess. And communion is for you. So let's do that right now. Let's, the band will play the song. Make your way to the tables. Take communion. And then come on back. And let's end the service with a bang. So <laughs> let's do that right now. <laughs>